Welcome to Mosaics, a podcast featuring the vibrant and diverse stories of refugee resettlement in Idaho. I'm your host, Holly Beach, with the Idaho Office for Refugees. Today I'm here with a really special person. I'm here with my colleague, Judith Mwamba. She is a teaching assistant at the English Language Center, which is a program of the Idaho Office for Refugees here in Boise. And Judith moved to Idaho very recently, just last year in 2022. I'm really excited to hear about what that transition has been like. She is a very light ray of sunshine, great laugh, really fun colleague to have. So I can't wait for you all to get to know her today. So welcome, Judith, to Mosaics. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here today. Excited. Thanks for taking the time. Judith recently shared at World Refugee Day at the Boise Library. That was really fun to hear your story. So thanks for coming on here to share it as well. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Um, first of all, my name is Judith Mwamba, and um, I am born in Congo, but I was raised in Namibia. We moved to Congo when I was six years old. This was between 2000 and 2001. And, um, or moved to from, Namibia. Moved to Namibia yeah. from Congo. Okay. Yes, thank you. And um, at the time, it was just me, my mom, and my two brothers that follow me. So... Namibia. We lived in Namibia ever since that year. And um, then we moved to the refugee camp in Namibia. And we've been living ever since. And we moved to Boise last year. Welcome to Boise. Thank you. Do you remember much about your early, early childhood in DRC? What that was like? I remember vividly small things like family gatherings with my grandpa and with my mom and dad at home. But not too much. But it was good. I, we played a lot. Mm-hmm. I just remember playing a lot outside and being with my grandpa. My grandpa used to be this strict mm-hmm. man that used to shout at us a lot, but he loved us so much. So I just remember all of that family gatherings and playing outside with the children. That's most of the things that I remember. Tell me a little bit about the language your family spoke in DRC. My dad is from Kinshasa, so he spoke a lot of Lingala, and my mom is from Kasumbaleza, so she spoke Swahili. Um, Most of the time when we'd hear my dad speak Lingala is when he had his friends at home, or when he's mad, he would shout shout at us in Lingala, so. But mostly we spoke Swahili in the house, Swahili, yeah. And there came a point when you were six years old where your family knew uh, you could no longer stay safely in DRC. Can you tell me a little bit about what that transition was like for you as a child? It was very, I don't know how to, I don't have words to put it in, but I just remember my mom telling us to hurry up and hurry up, let's go, let's go. I'm like wondering, where are we going? Because I kept saying, where are we took Nanda Wapi? Where are we going? Where are we going? My mom just kept saying, let's go, hurry up. So there was a man that was helping us at that time. I knew him from church. So he was the one like, we could, if I want to take something, my mom would tell us, leave it. So. We had to, we were like literally running. We were not walking. We had to run and um, there was a car outside. We got into that car and then from there we were taken to a truck. We had to get into that truck at the back of the truck. And um, the space, there was not a lot of, it was me, my, we were four, my mom and I and my two brothers. So, and my two brothers were really young. They were, I think, two years old or one. So we had to squish ourselves at the back of a truck and yeah, it was not nice, but we had to squeeze there. 
And I got knee problems from there because I, my legs were just folded the whole time. We couldn't stretch our legs. So after that, I just have a problem with my feet now. Wow. And you arrived in Namibia and here you are as a young kid wanting to go back to school. What was that like for you trying to kind of reestablish as a family in Namibia for those first couple of years? Yeah, when we got to, I think it was the border, and there were a lot of cars out there. So we got into one. The only place I, re- I heard them saying Katima, Katima, I think. So we went there and I was small. There were lots of people. My mom was done doing most of the talking. So they took us. We went with them. And I think it was the beginning. I don't even know what the month it was. But um, after a couple of days, my mom wanted us to go back to school. And finding school, we couldn't find school because in the town where we where we got to, the person that was trying to get us to school wouldn't find us school. So we moved to the refugee camp. This is how we got into the refugee resettlement, everything. We thought, my mom thought there was a school there, but there was no school actually. So it was even worse. And she didn't know how to speak English. We didn't know how to speak English. So we had to look for, my mom looked for somebody in the camp to help her with English and help us find school. Eventually, we found school in the city outside. The city was called Okahanja, but the process was very difficult. We got, I remember getting into school in the middle of the second term. And for me, it was easy because it was first grade. So, yeah, and my brother stayed home with my mom. But at school, I didn't know English. And at the time, Afrikaans was spoken a lot in other languages. I was like the outsider in class and people didn't know me. It was not a nice experience as a child. I mean, you know, I know the feeling of being at at a different school for the first time, but at least you know somebody and you know the language. But now I don't know the language and I don't know anybody and the teachers don't know me. So, yeah, it was always hard waking up, going to school. Like, I'm going back, I'm going back. But eventually I learned the language. Did you find other students or a teacher who brought some kindness and hope to your life? My teacher was good. She realized later that I couldn't, because I used to be quiet in class. Then she she realized later that I couldn't speak the language. So she helped me a lot. She used to call me to her house and she would give me books and things to learn from. And she would help me like say and write one, two, three she she helped me a lot. She really did. I yeah. It's interesting now you work at a school um with mm-hmm. adult students but students who often don't know anybody or the language. Do you see yourself in that or do you yes. try to bring your experience to that to help them? Yes. Yes, most of the students they come to me and say it's very hard we don't know the language so I can relate to it. And this is why I like being at the ELC because I see myself and I understand the people and I always encourage them that with time you will get it. Just be confident in yourself. Don't lose hope or think that I can't do it. It's difficult, yes, but you will eventually be able to do it. Are you able to connect with a lot of students in their native tongue? Mm -hmm. Yes, mostly Swahili. That's such a comfort in itself. They can express themselves to you freely. Yes, even when they don't understand something in class, they would always come to me after class and I would help elaborate it more. Or 
like the mamas most of the time they'll be like ah it's really difficult i've never written in my life i've never gone to school will i be able to understand i will say mama it is well you will understand wow that's so special they have you there thank you for what you do you were telling me earlier about your first few years in namibia and how your whole family didn't come at once there was a three-year gap for your dad and your yes. older siblings what was that like for you during that time? Did you have any idea what had happened to them or if they were okay? Well, before we left Congo, my dad had left with my older brother Yannick and Shala. Yannick and Yannick Yann is my older brother, Shala is my older sister. They left. So when we were running away, at that time, we hadn't speak, spoken to my dad and my siblings for a long time. So we didn't know. I didn't know where they were. I don't know whether they were alive. I didn't know anything. And we were in the camp. Um, we used there used to be a place where we used to go receive food. That's where everybody came. We used to call that place the DP. I was six years old when I moved to Namibia, and I was still a child. But then I became almost like a firstborn because my brother was not there, my sister was not there, and I have two brothers under me, and my mom also. No, she cannot do everything on her own. You can see that she was stressed. And she had it hard, but she had to keep herself strong for us. And and seeing that also made me, it made me want to grow stronger because I knew she couldn't do it on her own. So I had to force myself to suppress most of my feelings, even no matter how bad I would feel, I wouldn't want to show it or, or speak out. I'll just pretend everything is okay, even when nothing was okay. Yeah, even till now, I find it hard to open up still because I had to learn to put everything inside to keep it to myself after three years three years of not being with my dad not being with my brothers I remember I was in the DP waiting to receive food and one tall boy just called me Jidit and I looked like yes his face talking about it now is making me see his face he was crying and um, I'm, a, I'm looking at him and I don't know who he is and he keeps saying, she did, she did, it's me, it's me. And he's hugging me and I'm like, yeah, who are you? And he's like, it's me, Yannick. And I'm like, Yannick? The last time I saw my brother, he was not tall, he was a child also. So he hugged me and he's like, yeah, it's me, Yannick, your older brother, it's me, it's me. And he's hugging me and I'm also starting to cry because I'm like, he's telling me he's my brother, but I can't remember. I don't see this face and this height. I don't know who this person is. But he's saying he's my brother and he's hugging me and I'm hugging him back. And uh, from this, asking me, where's Mama? Where's Victor? Where's Sami? Where's everybody? And I'm also asking him, where's Shela? It's like, Shela is at home. Let's go first. Let's go to Mama. And um, we were, I started, we were running and he's pulling my hand and I'm taking him to where my mom is. And my mom knew when she saw him, she knew this is Yannick. My mom just started crying. She fell on the ground and she started crying. Everybody just started crying. I'm so thankful you got to reunite. Wow, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So this would have all been in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. And it sounds like you spent the rest of your childhood in, in the refugee camp. What did you, you know, you did you finish school there? Did you get work there? What was that like for you to grow up and enter your adulthood and in the camp? We didn't stay very long in the camp. After that, when we had gotten school, we stayed in Okahanja. It was a small city out, out of the camp. 
and that's where I went all of my school from first grade to 12th grade. So after I'd gotten into primary school, I finished seventh grade and getting into high school was another situation because we didn't have the right paperwork or our IDs. In Namibia, they carry these small IDs, but then my document was this long status. And they were like, what is this? Everybody was like, what is this? What is this? But my school teacher from primary school helped me get into a high school. And um, my sister also went to the same high school. My brother, my older brother moved back to the camp because the language was a bit difficult. So he moved back. My sister and I and my younger brothers remained in Okahanja. And that's how we started over there. I finished high school. At that time, I knew how to speak English. I knew how to speak Afrikaans. I knew how to speak Oshierero. I spoke most of the languages in Namibia which was very surprising for me. I didn't know I would learn so fast, but yeah, I spoke most of the languages. I, be- I literally became like a Namibian. The only different thing was just the paperwork. It was just the paperwork. So after that, um, when I finished uh, grade 12, I had to apply for university. And school is very expensive. University is very expensive in Namibia. So I had to, to apply for a grant or a loan. And there used to be this loan that they used to give out to refugees, and I was encouraged to apply. And when I had applied, we had to be interviewed. So I went for my interview, and I remember um, one of the students that was also being, she was telling me, if you go in there, don't cry. And I was like, don't cry. Okay. Yeah, don't cry. If you cry, you won't get it. I'm like, okay. I didn't understand. She had, she had, but she had already received the grant. She was just like reapplying. So my turn, I went there, they were asking me questions and they had to ask about my background and why I needed it. And in the process, I found myself crying. So immediately when I cried, I already, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I've just lost it. And, and they never got back to me after that. I went back to the office. I didn't know if I had gotten it. So nothing happened. So I had to go. I went home and I told my dad, I don't know what's happening my dad is a carpenter, as I told you, and um, at the time he used to do carpentry and sell wood calves, and he used to do this. Business was good at that time, so he used his carpentry business money to pay for my school. He invested all of it into my school, and that's how I got into university. Wow. And how did you know what you wanted to study, and what were you passionate about studying? Yes, in high school, this is exciting for me because mm-hmm. I remember in high school, um, when we finished 10th grade, um, in Namibia, you have to choose when you go to 11th grade. So you're to two, two grades, two last grades, you have to decide whether you're going to go into science or commerce. And initially, I used to think I would do science, but my, the science teachers that we had in, from 8th grade to 10th grade, my science teachers were to me, I felt that, no, they were lazy because they gave us most of the work. They just used to tell us, go read, go read. And there was lots of books to read. And I was like, no, I can't. So I'm going to commerce. I'm not familiar with that term. Commerce? Yeah, we, they, they used to call it commerce. That's the accounting, economics, business. That's that field. Okay. So we called it commerce in Namibia. So that, then I chose that one. And... I got into it, then we got into it. I mean, I had accounting in grade 10 and grade 8, from grade 8 to grade 10, but I didn't really have a passion for it. My teacher was really good. She was so good. It was a woman. 
she would dress so official every day when she's coming to class. I was like, okay, this is nice. This is nice. And I got into a, like, the more I did accounting, I realized I was good at it. I was good at math. I was like, okay, this is nice. I think I'm going to do accounting. So economics, it was between economics and accounting. I used to love both of them. So when I applied for university, I applied for my first choice was accounting. My second choice was economics. And then they accepted me for accounting. And that's how I got into accounting. Judith, I wish we could have been friends in college. The <laughs> one class I was like worried about not passing was economics. <laughs> I could have used some passion. Really? Yeah. You remind me of my brother. We we make fun of him. He loves numbers so much mm -hmm. that he'll read books about prime numbers. Yeah. And it sounds like the ELC kind of has a running joke about <laughs> how much you love numbers too. Yeah. I remember um, I, I am part of the CAD team and we had an assignment where we had to draw a river and we had to say, we had to like draw cliffs and explain this cliff in my life meant this. And I was sitting in the office I was drawing, I was drawing, I was drawing. I was like, okay, so what? How do I? How am I going to add numbers into it? So, <laughs> so I cliff put number one. This is cliff one. The rock. This is number two. So, <laughs> I remember Ashley seeing it and she was like, yeah, go on, do it. So that's how I try to put numbers in everything. I just, I don't know why. I don't know. It's just my passion. Yeah, I wonder what it is about numbers. Just they're always you can count on them to always be yes consistent. Mm -hmm. Nine minus three will mm -hmm. always be always, what? always be six. Okay, good. I was like, always this is your six. test. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's the good thing about numbers. You know, when you're writing sentences, you can always explain and explain and give another expression and give. But with numbers, if it's two, it's two. Mm -hmm. That's how it is. That's why I like it. It's straightforward. You're still studying numbers here. Talk to me a little bit about your education here so far. Yes, it's actually funny how I got into school here. I mean, I wanted to go to school, but I wasn't planning to go to school the time I started. There's um at the church I go to. There's um there's a man, Emmanuel. He was he he just came up one day. He's like, oh Judith, this was last year. He was like, you know that CWI is opening in the fall. It was August. It's about to open. I was like, yeah, okay. Did you apply? Have you applied? I'm like, no. He's like, go apply now so you can get in. So he helped me uh, through it all. And I applied, and he like helped me get my transcript from Namibia. I called the school in Namibia. They emailed everything and everything happened so fast. The next thing I knew, I received an email. Congratulations. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, CWI now and went back into accounting. And um, last, I just finished my year, uh, successfully completed my first year in America. <laughs> so this is nice. Well, and I learned recently, too, that you have a young child. Yes. So it's not, you're, you're <laughs> juggling a lot right now. Tell us about Nathan. Yes, Nathan. Hmm. Very funny. Nobody believes that I have a child, though. Yeah. So Nathan is six years old. He's a handful. He's, he's everywhere. I guess I gave birth to myself. Now it's karma. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's, um, he loves music like me. He loves to play around. He doesn't stay quiet often, but um, he was born in Namibia in 2017, and um, he's been the joy of the family ever since. He's been the joy. He's been the joy. I mean, when I was pregnant, I was so afraid of my dad, and then his response was so different. I didn't expect it. And when Nathan was born, he became my dad's child. Mm. So, yeah. Precious. Mm -hmm. It is. It is precious. He he 
went on and even told me, Judith, when you get married, Nathan stays with me. Go give birth to other kids. I'm like, okay. Okay. I won't tell Nathan that you said <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> He'll be mad. <laughs> so now you've had a year of parenting in America. What has that been like for you so far? Can you kind of compare and contrast what that was like to parent in Namibia? Yeah. It's different, you know. I remember being myself, you know, with my parents. It was very, like, what they say stands. Like, even if you don't like it, you do it. If they say no, it's no. You cannot go and persuade them to go and say, no, but can I do this? Um, but here, even with the friends that I have, even the kids that I see around with their parents, I see they are open with their parents, you know, when they're feeling sad, when they're not happy about something. Even when they're not happy with their parents, they will come and talk to their parents about it. And this is very new for me. Like, okay, so I can go to my mom and say, I didn't like the way you spoke to me yesterday and she won't be mad about it. So, you know, even with Nathan, I'm learning how to, like, you know, tell him to come to me and be open about it. You know, even sometimes in the house, because we all live together with my mom, I would, for example, tell Nathan, Nathan... If I'm talking to you and, you and I may upset you or if something's not true, you stop me and you tell me, Mom, no, it's explain to me everything. So sometimes also I'm like, no, you must listen to your mom. What your mom says goes. So sometimes there's that up and down, but I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, my mom is also trying. She's, she's gotten better. She's, she's improved. Yeah. yeah, she's improved. Even in the house now, if um, if we argue or something doesn't go right, she'll come to us and she will apologize. And she will say, no, if you're not happy, Sami, tell me, Victor, tell me. Sometimes I'm like, this is not home, but still my mom. I'm happy. I think that's one of the most beautiful things a yeah. parent can give is the humility to apologize and yes. always learn. I've seen that in my parents as well. And it's that almost earns more respect than if they had never messed yes. up in the first place. That's true. Because I didn't know back home. I didn't, I don't think I ever saw or heard a parent apologizing to their child. It's always the child that has to apologize. Daddy, I'm sorry, mommy, I'm sorry. But even my dad, even on the phone, when talking on the phone, maybe if he, if he misunderstood something or if he maybe speaks loudly or says something, he was like, I'm sorry. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. My mom was like, yeah, I'm sorry. So that's very, for me, that's growth. And also it, um, that way I can also be open with them and teach Nathan to be open with me too. And I can apologize to Nathan because I see my parents apologizing to me because we learn from our parents. And if your parents are harsh, you'll be harsh to your kids too because that's what you've been seeing all the time you've been growing up. And if you've not been open with your parents, you won't expect your child to be open with you. And when the child is open with you, you don't know what to do. Because you're not used to it. So I'm glad that, you know, my parents have evolved and they're growing. And I'm growing through it too. It's really beautiful growth. Did your family find any help with that kind of growth when you got here? Or is it mostly just something that internally you've been able to do? I can't say we got help because my mom started it even before we got here. I think it happened internally because... Small, small things, their actions, their behaviors, when you expect them to be angry, they're not angry. When you expect them to shout at you, they don't shout at you. So it's been just, we've just been wondering what's going on. They're changing, you know. 
Yeah, I think most of it happened with my pregnancy. Yeah, because, you know, as an African, what I know is when you get pregnant back home, like the culture was, you get married to whoever impregnated you, whether you're ready or not. So, and the fact that my dad didn't even bring that up, I was surprised. He didn't kick me out also. So that was very new to me. And even his response, he, the next, after he found it, the next morning, he told me, good morning, how are you? I didn't expect him to even talk to me. So it was, I don't know, it was just a big change. Very big change. Well, I bet your dad is missing Nathan and you a lot. Um, Tell us about that situation with your other family members who aren't here yet. We miss them. I mean, we used to being together. Ever since we got together, we we didn't want to separate again. And now it's like another separation. Sometimes I think, I'm like, hmm, why, do, why do we always have to be separated before we're finally all together again? First, my dad left and then we didn't see each other. Now we're here. And now it's the same people, we're not together again. So it's like bringing back those memories sometimes. And um, thank God they have started their process also. The process to, mm-hmm. to come here through refugee yes. resettlement? Yes. But the, it's been a year now that we haven't seen each other. It's been a whole year. I don't remember. After we met, we have not been separated for so long. That's what breaks my heart the most yeah. with our system is how long people are separate. Because Nathan's only six, mm-hmm. one year of his life, you know? Yes. And when Nathan starts missing his grandfather... He will cry in the house. I want to speak because he calls him daddy because that's what we call him in the house. So it's like, I want to speak to daddy. Where is daddy? And then if he, he wants to video call him and, you know, the times when we, it's night here, it's morning. So sometimes when we're calling, he's offline. So it's worse than my little brother blessing us. He keeps asking my mom, when is my dad coming? When is Yannick coming? When is Shel- when is ever-? He doesn't understand. But for me and Victor and Sam, since we kind of have this understanding because it has happened to us before. So seeing Blessing and Nathan go through it is kind of heartbreaking because wouldn't want, I don't want them to go through that. So it's kind of heartbreaking. Well, I hope your family hears good news soon on the progress of their application. Yes, thank you. And that'll be a really joyful day when you all reunite. Yes. I'm excited for you. <laughs> that'll be really, really good. You've twice now in your life had to move to a completely new culture and country and start over. In Boise, can you tell me about some of the first moments where you start to think, I could be at home here, like I could find myself here again. Do you have memories of some of the early times when you found that? Yeah. When we arrived in March, we arrived at night last year and we, we were picked up from the airport and we went to the hotel Next morning, we woke up and we look outside. Everything's different. Inside, everybody's different. Lots of English. And then um, at first, we're like, okay, I, want, I miss home already. We stayed in the hotel for a long time. We hadn't gone out. If we go outside, it's just, just outside the hotel. We hadn't gone to the stores. We didn't know anything about it, but... As time went by, is the food for me, it's the food that brought that back to me because when we got here, we're eating chicken, we're eating, we, there were takeaways, you know, it's food from the store. Vegetable, cabbage, yeah, cabbage, so it's not really home, but 
My aunt came home and she brought us vegetable. She brought sombe. This is cassava leaves. I was like, okay. How did you get it? So in my mind, I'm thinking it got imported. Like she ordered it and it was brought. She's like, no, I bought it at the store. Like, what store did you buy it from? He says, we have sombe here. Then she started mentioning, we have all the vegetables. We have fish. We have everything is here. We have African stores. And I was like, great, I want to see it. And she, the next day she took us and um, I wanted to see all the stores. And she did, she did. She took me to all the stores because I was just surprised. Like in America, hmm, I didn't expect it. I really didn't expect it. And that for me gave me a relief that my food is here. I don't have to stick to rice. I don't have to stick to uh, broccoli. I can Don't be hating on broccoli. <laughs> no, just kidding. I can go and get some, I can get, I can eat fufu. Hmm. And this is good. I am happy. Nathan can eat fufu. He can still have his culture and know his food. This is my food but from back home. I need to eat it. And he loves some, just like me, by the way. So I am so happy that we don't get to lose that. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Even I am impressed and surprised when I look at the list of international markets yeah. that Boise has. It's Really cool. Yeah. And I uh, encourage everyone to, to check them out. We have a list on the Idaho Office for Refugees website. Mm -hmm. And I do think food is one of those things where if you're feeling, you know, like you need some comfort, yeah, that's the way to go. I'm yes. so glad your aunt knew mm -hmm. her way around and could take you there. I am. I am. Because all the food, I mean, I tried the burger. I tried them like this will not do. Nathan can love it, but not me. His chicken nuggets. He loves his chicken nuggets every time. I want chicken nuggets. If he wants to go out, you know what he wants. So fufu, isn't that like the pop for South Africans? Yes, like, it's pop. Is it? Um, is that a cornmeal dish? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. And you kind of use it to soak up like a stew, mm -hmm. right? Oh, mm -hmm. I remember the pop in South Africa was so good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. I mean, and I love that we can have it. Um, we have the corn and then there's also the cassava. You can make it with cassava. I love it with cassava, though. Very nice. When you eat cassava, fufu with cassava leaves and fish, your life will never remain the same again. again. <laughs> well, maybe I'll need to come over sometime. <laughs> oh, well, Judith, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. It was good expressing some of the things and opening some closed doors i do have one more question for you for other people coming to idaho through refugee resettlement who are newer here than you do you have any words of advice you'd share with them what i would share with them is yes it's difficult and yes it's not easy everything is new everything is changed but just keep in mind that anything is possible as long as you put your mind to it you can achieve whatever you want to achieve and um, no matter how slow things may seem, eventually you'll get there. Eventually you'll get there. Just keep pushing and keep pressing. There are lots of people who love us. Well, thankful to be in your life, Judith. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the conversation. For more information on how to be involved with refugee resettlement, please visit IdahoRefugees.org. Mosaics is produced by the Idaho Office for Refugees with grant support from the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Music by the Afrosonics. Production and partnership with SB Studios.